When it comes to self-development, no matter the method you use, the vital point is to practice. If you want to learn methods to transform your life and actively grow into the potential you know is inside of you, then you're in the right place. Welcome to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I'm a psychedelic integration and transformation coach and breathwork facilitator, as well as an enthusiast of personal growth. You have the capacity to evolve and bring your intentions and dreams into the world. And there's never been more access to so many incredible modalities that can help you on your journey. This podcast will help you learn about new methods to bring into your life, give you practices to follow, and share stories from practitioners who are doing the work so that you can feel inspired to go and practice because that's the vital point. Enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to right now. This is still a new podcast, and I'm committed to growing so that more people can learn and feel inspired to go and try something that will literally change their life. Your help is really appreciated with that mission. Thank you for supporting the show. My guest on this episode is Greg Lawrence. Greg is a psychedelic integration and transformation coach speaker, educator, and works as an integration coach for the Transpersonal Center in Los Angeles and for retreat centers around the globe. He shares the story of his own transformation about how psychedelics helped to pull his life out of a downward spiral of addiction. And then we get into a juicy topic, uh, resistance, how the mind holds us back from achieving the things that we want why that happens, and how to overcome it. We also talk about preparing for psychedelics and how surrender can help us get the most from our experiences. Enjoy the show. So why don't we uh, start with like, um, how did you get into this work? How do you find yourself here? Um, I got into this work because the work that I do with clients is basically what helped me to transform and sort of save my life. I did a lot of psychedelics in my teens through my late twenties. And unfortunately my late twenties, I got mixed up with hard drugs and my life spiraled out of control very quickly. I was out of work. I remember having a car at one point and then not having a car. I can't tell you to this day what happened to that car. I don't know if I sold it, gave it away, it got stolen, what, but such is the life of an addict. Um, I was fortunate that someone came and pulled me out of my physical environment when I was kind of hitting rock bottom. And I moved away from the physical area where I lived. I cut ties with all of the people that I knew at that time. I did all the things you were supposed to do and really just sort of, sort of cold turkey, stopped using all substances except for cannabis, which I abused for about 20 years. Um, I use cannabis. I use it intentionally. And sometimes I use it just to feel good. So I have nothing against cannabis, but I was using, using it in a way that wasn't helpful to me. And um, just about 10 years ago, I had a personal tragedy, tragedy that turned my life upside down. And in the middle of very deep grief, I realized that I had a lot of childhood trauma that had never even been discussed or acknowledged, much less dealt with in any way, shape, or form. Mm. So I started seeing a therapist for all things psychological and a coach for all things spiritual. I smoked cigarettes at the time, and um, I told my coach I'm trying to quit smoking. And he said that he had heard about some study that said psilocybin helps with that. I thought, oh, I know about mushrooms. I've taken mushrooms before. They feel great. I like them, et cetera, et cetera. I found some mushrooms and took them. And 
Um, this gave me a real lesson about intention because in the times I had been using psychedelics before, I explicitly was not looking inside myself. <laughs> I was doing everything I could not to do that. And once I was in a period of being reflective and introspective, that's where the medicine went. So I took the mushrooms and it was not what I was expecting. It was a lesson in everything that had happened in my life, my part in it, other people's parts. I could see the exact moment that some of my problems and trauma had begun. The sort of patterns that they'd ingrained in me and the things that I was doing that wasn't good for me that were basically making me unhappy. And when I got done, I thought, well, now I've seen that. So all of that's going to change. And it only took about two or three weeks before everything was the same again. I couldn't understand why. So I tried it again a couple of times and the same thing would happen. I would have epiphanies and insights and make these new connections I'd never made before. But in the aftermath, my life went back to normal. So out of frustration, I started looking around and I discovered the concept of psychedelic integration, which I had never heard of. You know, I'd been sort of living a suburban life for 25 years. Uh, the psychedelic renaissance, the beginning of it passed me by. It was only 10 years ago I started looking into all these things. And I attended an integration circle. I talked to people. I found out about this concept of psychedelic integration. And I sort of started forming my own uh, method or approach of integration that worked for me. And only when I did that and applied the lessons of the journey and started making some somewhat difficult and uncomfortable changes in my life, purposely did change start to happen. So, you know, I hung around in that community. I started leading integration circles. I've been doing that for over five years. And uh, I think I got certified four years ago. I started practicing about three and a half in the last two years. This has been my full-time job, but this work is what helped pull me out of the funk that I was in for a couple of decades and get me to a place where life is worth living and actually things couldn't be better for me right now. So this is a passion for me, not just a job. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And a couple of things that, that came to mind. Uh, first of all, like I feel like you're in the right place here on this podcast because um, you know this is the 40th episode that I recorded and I've had guests across this wide spectrum of different transformational practices. Um, but one thing that I hear as a common thread throughout everybody's story is how they had an experience that changed their life in some way. And that experience really spurred them, inspired them to pay it forward and, and turn to this path of service. You know, it wasn't enough that like, hey, I made it out. Um, you know, it's like, I've got it now I've got to help somebody else with it. And so I, I really uh, am, each time I hear that, I'm just struck by just this wonderful piece of humanity and, and sort of how this whole healing journey um, works. So I, I really love that, um, first of all. And then um, I was also struck by, you know, in terms of your story, um, one of the things that I heard was these different layers. You know, you were, you were able to uh, get yourself out of drug addiction and kind of get to, it sounded like a, like a place of, you know, sort of normal stasis, like where you weren't getting pulled back into, you know, hard drugs, but yeah. you know, you were, you were sort of status quo. I was asleep. And, right, right, exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then, uh, you know, the working with plant medicine and, 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 uh, you know, mushrooms helped you to start to go down into another layer. And, and get a little bit deeper. And, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by that, um, you know, 
I think some people feel like uh, evolution or our lives are sort of this linear um, path. And it seems like a lot of the time, especially when we're working with plant medicines, it's more like a spiral. You know, we kind of can get, we, we sort of come back to certain places, but we're able to go a little bit deeper, uh, see it from a different sort of dimension and work with it in a different way. Yeah, I don't think you're ever done. <laughs> you know, there's always more. And yes, I like the idea of a spiral. It's also sort of like a spectrum. Like I'm just learning how to be on this end of the spectrum more than this. And I'm always going to get pulled back once in a while. I'm always going to fall asleep a little bit. I'm going to be unconscious. I'm going to repeat some patterns to a lesser extent. And I'm not mm -hmm. as deep in them. And I don't believe that it's real. You know, there was a time when I thought that everything that happened to me was just that it was something that happened to me. You know, I had problems and people did things and things happened to me. I didn't see my part in it. I didn't see this mechanism in my brain where I went after those things, you know, that, um, you know, after you have traumatic events in your life that you go and you search out people who are going to trigger you and make those things come up and keep hitting you in the head until you either give up, resign yourself to a life that sucks and where things are bad, or you get so frustrated, you decide you have to do something about it. And that's something I see in just about every client. You know, they, they sort of hit a place where it's like, I need to do something now. I can't, I can't be in this any longer. Yeah, I, okay, I can really relate to that. And so I think that's a good segue into like, I, I've heard you on different podcasts talking about resistance. And that's, you know, something that, that comes up uh, for me in my work and with my clients as well. Um, so people come to you and they're sort of done feeling that resistance, right? They're fed up. They've, they're like, what, what do I do? How do I move through this resistance that I feel? Cause I know that something has to change. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and so how, how do you feel like people um, start that process? Where do you, where do you start with clients? Well, I think first it's necessary to understand that your brain thinks it would be a very bad idea for you to change. You know, the mechanism is something like this. Usually when I'm small, something happens that's a little bit too much for me emotionally. I may dissociate. Um, I may become traumatized in some way. It might leave a scar on me. But what inevitably happens is your subconscious ego, body, your mind, I don't want to say conspire, but they sort of get together and say, look, don't worry. From now on, when that kind of thing happens, I'm going to make sure that you do or don't do, say or don't say this, and you won't get hurt again. That might be being offended by something someone says. That might be being defensive. That might be keeping your distance from people and not being able to go deeper in a relationship. The habits, patterns, ways of being and thinking that we don't like are often defense mechanisms that were adaptive strategies that our mind gave us to help us out at a time when we didn't have the resources and knowledge that we have now. So although our minds are ingenious at coming up with these maladaptive behaviors in order to help us cope with certain things when we're at a certain time, and those things are invaluable and may actually save our lives in that time, our mind is kind of dumb when it comes to knowing that not only do I not need that now, it's actually in my way and I'm trying to get rid of it. But this thing is structured in such a way so that you can't see where it is. You don't see objective reality. You believe where you are at that time and you react in a certain way. So it's first necessary to understand that that's happening and that your brain does not want you to change. It thinks that this is something that you need to hang on to. 
Now, in the psychedelic experience, that change is about to come, come up and you can feel yourself lowering your defenses. And when that happens, the ego gets way up and starts waving you away. And it's basically fear that comes up. And it's a strange thing about fear. You know, we can analyze and evaluate and talk to people and think things over and finally decide that this is absolutely the course of action that I need to take. This is the thing that's going to help me. But when it comes time to do that, an emotion comes up, often fear. And it feels like there's new information in that emotion, but there's not. It's just a jarring feeling in your body that for some reason makes you think maybe it's not a good time for this. You know, I can do this later. You know, I'm not sure if this is going to work. I don't know if that person knew what they were talking about. There's all kinds of things your brain will tell you about why this is a good idea. But when fear comes up, all kinds of things happen. And in the psychedelic experience, it starts waving you away from this area thinking this is where you were that time. It doesn't want you to re-experience this event because it's come up with a defense for it, specifically to keep you away from it. So it helps for people to know that. It helps for people to know that there are really no mistakes in the psychedelic experience, that there are misinterpretations, but nothing happens that's wrong that shouldn't happen. And that everything that happens is for your healing and that you're sort of a co-author in this experience. The substance may be the chef, but the pantry is you and your life experience. So there's a certain amount of this experience that you've sort of agreed to, gone into. We're not aware of it, just like we're not aware of the fact that we beat our heart and move our lungs and circulate our blood and all these things. But somewhere, we've agreed that this is a thing that we want to do. Now, it may tip over a little bit too far for us at the time. It may be frightening. But um, everything that happens in that experience happens for your healing. Yeah, it's almost like the, the body is running old programming. You know, body always pro runs old programming. You know, we're all cut off from our bodies. Right. And, and unfortunately, a lot of those programs, unless we're actively trying to sort of upgrade our software, so to speak, are, are from a time that we didn't quite have the adult faculties that we have now. And so it's like, it's almost like, you know, if you, if you don't upgrade your phone for a few, you know, months or, you know, a couple of years, a few programs start working, uh, you know, wonky, they might start glitching or, you know, things stop working. And now, you know, the, the body is just sort of like a really complex version of that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've got to work to upgrade those programs and, and upgrade our software and, uh, you know, psychedelic work is such a powerful way to get in there and really start to open the, get under the hood and, and, and get in and do some of that upgrades. Well, and this is where integration comes in because psychedelic work will help show us where those programs are, just as right. I saw what my programming was and what my patterns were. But the problem is that those programs are um, in muscle memory now. They kick in automatically. So the first time you tried to drive a car, it seemed like an impossible task. You know, how am I going to step on the gas and the brake and steer and look at the other cars and check the mirrors? It's just, you know, I don't know how to do this. And it's very difficult when you first start off. And now you don't think about it. You get into your car, you don't even know that you put the seatbelt on. And two hours later, you arrive and think, I don't remember driving at all. I've been in my head or talking to this other person the whole time. Because after you do something a number of times the same way, opening a door, putting on a seatbelt, driving a car, tamping down certain emotions, your, your brain steps in and says, I've got it. This is a repetitive thing and you do it the same way every time. I'll do that from now on. You communicate and create and do all those things and I'll take over and I'll do this task. So if you're driving and you try to concentrate on exactly how much pressure you're putting on the accelerator, it'll probably be a minute or three before your mind drifts off and you can't concentrate on it anymore because your subconscious is doing that task for you. 
So in order to change that, it's sometimes necessary to get that other behavior in there and you have to do it repetitively. It's going to be uncomfortable because energy wants to go where energy is always gone and habits are inside of us and the body wants to do it this way. And if you change it, it's going to be uncomfortable. We think in our minds, I don't like this. What we don't realize is there's a lot of discomfort in our body when we're trying to make this change. All we know is I don't like this. And again, the brain steps in and says things like, you know, we'll do this tomorrow, next week. It's not a good time. I don't know. It doesn't fit in with this thing. All the reasons that people come up with for not doing things, including me, by the way, because your body doesn't want you to. It's used to doing things this way. It thinks that you need to. Yeah, I like that you've you know brought up that it's it's just um, it's just habit. You know, it, it doesn't the the body isn't really differentiating between good and bad. It's just what the body knows. Yeah. And and I love that analogy of the car. I've actually used it myself. Um, because you're right, we 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 drive so unconsciously. We do so many things within the car without really thinking because of how many times we've done them before. Yeah, you never and, think about how you're going to open a door. You know, there's right. going to be a lever or a bar or a knob or a sensor or something. You'll look for one of those, but then you just do it. Nobody remembers like, oh, there's a knob. I need to grab that and turn it and then push. It just happens. Yeah, and I, I think you touched on something that's like a really deep... Um, sort of truth that we come to in this work, uh, which is that the all these things that in the beginning we may be trying to get away from, like, I, I don't like this about myself, I need to change it, and I'm going to change it with psychedelics or with breath work or what, however we're modifying our behavior, um, those parts of us are there as defense mechanisms. They're trying to keep us safe. So I think that like, it's sort of a normal process of the first step is I want to get away from this, this habit or this pattern, but then we get to a place where we actually have some grace for ourselves and we can see, oh, wow, this, this thing was doing its best to try to keep me safe. You know, that's why I have this habit. And when we kind of get to that place, it creates this space where like, okay, well, thank you you're no longer needed in the same way, you know, but I'm not, it, it's not this dualistic, like I have to get away from it, black and white sort of thinking. And, um, you know, to me, that's like a very um, advanced concept. <laughs> so yeah. Speak. If you break your arm, you don't start cursing your arm and wishing it was gone. <laughs> it has a problem, but you know, this ties in with what you were saying about resistance, you know, Often people will have an experience and they'll have something like, I, you know, I thought I was going to go to a certain place and I just came upon this giant wall and it blocked me and I couldn't go anywhere and they don't like this wall and they want to get rid of the wall. And, you know, sometimes you can explain to them that that wall is one of the most beautiful things you ever saw in the world. It's the thing that saved you at one time. It's kept right. you safe. It's a part of you. Yeah. You built it and it's working exactly the way it was supposed to work. So have some love for that wall you know, stand in awe of that wonder that you built yourself, that thing that protected you at a time when you needed it so badly. That doesn't mean that you can't go past the wall or around the wall or over the wall, but it's not your enemy. It's actually the thing that's been taking care of you for a long time. Yeah. And, and having some patience and, um, you know, understanding for yourself that uh, as you build these new habits and patterns, it's going to take time. You know, you're not going to be able to get over a lifetime of of a program or a habit running 
in one ceremony or you know one integration session. Um, similar, I like your analogy of driving the car. So like, yes, I I know how to drive this car. I'm I'm very comfortable with it. If I got into an airplane, um, you know, it's similar. There's some things that are that are similar, right? Or a, a Mack truck. But all of a sudden, I'm going to have to use a lot more intention and effort and um, you know learning to to learn this new pattern, to learn this new habit. And you know, and I should expect that. I shouldn't expect that. Like, oh well. I know how to drive my Prius so I can get in this 18 wheeler and you know navigate it uh, with the same amount of proficiency the first time. Yeah. I also like the analogy of um, you know of of going going through a jungle is is one that I like to use a lot of you know if if there's a path through the jungle and you can see that path it's worn people use it all the time um, it's very defined well, one day you, you decide, well, I'm going to make a new path. It's not quite as easy. You have to take your machete and start hacking through and, you know, there, it's You're going to get cuts and scrapes and, you know, you're going to be running into things and, you know, it might be hard to sort of find your way and navigate. Um, but, you know, over time, if you continue to take that path, if you continue to um, cultivate it and, and, and use it, it starts to have that same wear. It starts to have that same familiarity, and over time, it can become, you know, just as um, uh, integrated as the old path that you were using. But you know, it, it takes some effort and some intention. Yeah, and you know, I like that analogy because you know, when you cut a new path through, there's still going to be times when you're walking through and it's not quite cleared yet, and you still get a scrape or a scratch here and there. And after a while, you keep going and at least you have the chance to use that other path now and you have choice, which is very much what this work is about to me. There are times when mm. it seems like we don't have choices. We just do this. And if we can carve a groove over here, then at least sometimes we'll do this. So we're not stuck and we have some choice in that. Yeah. And I, and I love it because like, that's, that's what science is telling us is actually happening when we're, you know, pr when we're practicing, you know, we're actually being able to create new neural pathways in the brain and sort of see perspective and see choices that really just didn't exist to us before because there literally was no neural connection. So we're, we're able to create more opportunity to, 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 to evolve and to see these different perspectives. Yeah, and I think that there's some misunderstanding about the whole concept of neural pathways. I think people think that um, when they take psychedelics, it rewires their brain. And there's, you know, some uh, truth to that, but as far as forming new neural pathways, I, as a right-handed person, if I want a new neural pathway, have to put this pen in my left hand and try start writing. That's the new neural pathway. The new mm -hmm. response, reaction, action you take is the neural pathway. So this is where integration comes in. You know, one of the most important parts of integration is seeing when I'm doing something that I used to do, when this is the way that things usually play out for me, and choosing to respond or react differently. That's a new neural pathway. It's a very important part of integration. Seeing yeah. that this is what I used <laughs> to do and now choosing to do something differently because I need to stop and evaluate the things I've been doing and really question myself to see whether or not I'm doing them because they make sense in the moment, because I've always done it, because mainstream culture tells me that's the way to do things, because that's the way my parents did things. You know, There are a lot of reasons we take actions and never question them. So in the aftermath of a psychedelic experience, we often ask those difficult questions. Why am I doing this? What has it gotten for me? Has it helped me in the past? Because sometimes these things have helped us. 
but they've helped us a little bit. And they've been harmful much more, but our brain wants to see the times that's helped us. And our brain can be very selective about things. It loves to tell you all the times that you were wrong. If you decide that you're going to be financially responsible, you know, in NLP, we learned there are images attached to things. So I want to think about myself being financially responsible. Somewhere in my brain, there's one picture for that. And that's my reference point every time I think about it. But if it's not something I'm used to, my brain has a million pictures that tell, tells me about the times when I wasn't financially responsible. So our brains can be very selective when it comes to evaluating ourselves. I can't mm. tell you how many clients feel like they are the only person in the world who feels a particular way, as though there are 6,999,999,999 people different than them. That they would be much more compassionate with someone else in their situation than they are with, with themselves. So our brains are very selective in the way they present information to us. Yeah, I can I can certainly relate to that. So you mentioned NLP. Um, I'm assuming that's one of the methods, modalities that you use um, when you're working with clients. Um, what other modalities or what other practices do you do you work with with people? You know, I draw on neurolinguistic programming, and that's mostly about uh, getting to states. You know, it's not dissimilar from something like the work of Joe Dispenza, except it's been around since the 70s. Um, there are aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy that I use, but it's not, you know, a lot of people say, well, I went to a CBT specialist and, you know, they have me do this piece of paper and do this checklist. And, you know, there are a lot of exercises and things you can do from CBT. That's not really the point to me. There are tools in there you can use with people. Um, you know, use mindfulness. Somatic awareness is a big thing for me. And a lot of different personal and spiritual de uh, development philosophies, philosophies and disciplines um, that I've seen over the years and quite a few tools I've developed myself that I use myself and with my clients. Hmm. Yeah. Um, would you be open to talking about maybe one of them? I'm, I'm always curious to learn new methods and hear about new, new strategies. Well, sometimes we craft questions for people to ponder in a certain way. Um, you know, like when we talked about, you know, say something like what has been in the context of your relationship, what has being right gotten for you? And it's gotten something for you. It's, it's worked somewhere and that's what your brain's hooked on. But there are two things to this. One is that we answer it not out of intellectual curiosity, but as a question that needs to be answered. Like I need to find an answer to this. It's on a test and I need to supply an answer for it. Not just it's something I'm going to ponder every once in a while. So we have a daily practice of reviewing this question, really thinking about what it's done for me in the context of relationship, what has, what, how important is being right for you. So we answer it as a question that needs to be answered. And we also answer it with the appropriate information. For instance, here are the times when being right helped me in my relationship. You need to know that and not just say, well, being right is not good in a relationship because obviously there's a reason your brain wants to do it. There are many reasons that we investigate things like that. We compare people to other people. You know, let's turn our attention to someone else who is in the same situation as you. How would you feel about them? You know, mm. we get to who you are and why are you responding in this way? I'm very big on reactivity and having people examine how they are feeling in a moment when they react a certain way. So someone may talk, start talking about a subject that they don't like. So for instance, I'm not crazy about when people just... Uh, have self-serving discussions about politics. Oh, the Democrats don't know what they're doing and the right's leading this country down the, down the wrong path. And you know, when it's just you know, the same conversation over and over, I'm not really crazy about that conversation. I can remember the first time that I thought, 
oh, I don't like this when someone started talking about it and then checked in, wait a minute, what's going on in my body? Oh my God, I am so uncomfortable in my body right now. And that's what's happening to us constantly. That's why embodiment is a big part of this work because there is no time when you are disturbed when there is not discomfort in your body, but most of the time you are not aware of it. You know, one of these mechanisms of keeping trauma trapped in us is that when we get upset, the brain cuts us off from the neck down so we don't feel this and starts the hamster wheel moving, trying to figure out how to solve the problem that's going on. And sometimes we need to look at uh, whether or not our reaction is out of proportion to the situation at hand. And we, also, you know, we often realize it is, but we don't think about it any further. Well, why is that? It's because that's not really why you're reacting so strongly. Something back here is. Mm -hmm. And it's not really necessary to know who, what, why, where, when, and how. There's a certain point where that becomes irrelevant. I mean, I like looking at my past and figuring out why I have certain patterns, but it's not going to do me any good to keep going back to that over and over again. What's left of that is the manifestation of that trauma. And that could be trauma with a small T or capital T, but it is the reaction or action I'm taking now based on that trauma. The reaction that I have that is um, much more amplified than it should be for this particular situation. You know, something that might, I used to be a very angry person. So something that might warrant some uh, annoyance on my part would have me royally pissed. I mean, way out of proportion to the situation at hand. I had to think about why that was, because that wasn't the problem. The emotion was trying to get out of me. Unfortunately, when the emotion comes up and you're pointing it in the wrong direction, it doesn't resolve. You can't experience it because that's not really the problem. That's not what it's angry about. It's glad to come up over and over again but it won't resolve when it's pointed in the right direction. Mm. It reminds me of uh, a Buddhist parable and I'm just going to, you know, paraphrase cause I'm not uh, like a, any sort of learned in that direction. But uh, uh, there was a student that, you know, came to the Buddha and was asking him all these different questions about where, where does my suffering come from? And, you know, asking a lot of why and what, and, you know, sort of inquisitive questions. And the Buddha said something about like, well, if, if somebody shot you with an arrow and you had an arrow in your arm, would you look at the arrow and go, gee, I wonder where the, the wood for this arrow came from and, and where did the person that shot me grew up? And I wonder what his family life is like and does he have a wife? And would you be asking all these questions or would you be concerned about pulling the arrow out of you as quickly as possible? Okay. And you know, so I, I love that you mentioned that because the, I know in my experience, there's, I've certainly gotten hung up on the mental part of it and the, that hamster wheel that you mentioned of wanting to know why and wanting to, to figure out everything that's happening when the, the real issue at hand is just being able to address the, the sensations and the, the feelings and actually move through the discomfort and the who, what, when, why, and where has nothing to do with that. You know, it's, it's just more important to be able to work with that feeling and, and be able to have an antidote uh, to, to move through it. Yeah, the brain wants to measure things all the time. That's what it does, it measures. I mean, it really yeah. can't judge, it can't make decisions, it can measure. And then we add to that, but it wants to see, is that more or less, does that hurt, does it feel good? It wants to get involved and wants to solve things. And this brain that's gotten us to where we are, this process of thought that's gotten us where we are, is constantly convincing us that it can get us out of that. Right. It's hard to think your way out of problems of the mind. 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I, I'm I'm so glad grateful that you're working, you know, to to help people connect with the body and with the somatic because, you know, like you mentioned, the we 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 tend to think that our problems are solvable from the mind, when really a lot of the time the mind has nothing to do with it. It's 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 the resistance or that discomfort is happening in the body, and we've got to address it from there. We can't think our way out of it, like like you mentioned. Yeah, we think that we're feeling emotions in our brain, but that's not possible. Right. Our, the brain is where we think about that, but every emotion you feel is a sensation or a combination of sensations in your body. That's where the feeling is. Then a thought gets mixed up in it and it becomes an emotion. But we think that we're feeling it up here because that's where all the action's happening for us. That's where we're analyzing and that's what's telling us how we feel. We have certain sensations and your brain says, oh, you're angry, you're sad, you know, uh, you're disappointed, whatever it might be judging by where things are tensing up or moving in our bodies. Hmm. Also love, you know, we've been talking a lot about like sort of the inherent programming of the brain and how when we're sort of unconscious to it, the, the brain and these past uh, memories and sort of uh, programs that it's stored can be running things and how doing integration work, working with psychedelics, working with these different transformational practices, we can start to kind of wake up and, you know, be able to use things like NLP and these different modalities that you're talking about to um, go beyond, in, in, if you will, like sort of the default programming that is existing in the brain and start to actually use those, uh, what's the word I want to use, like, um, natural tendencies that you know we we all are, have um for for good and for for a more positive purpose like instead of having it um it's almost like putting a horse to work you know like you could have a horse in a pasture and it's just running around and being a horse and you know eating grass and doing whatever it wants or you could you know work with that horse and sort of befriend it and put it to work you could plow your field it could uh, take you from you know here to there uh, you know, there's, there's different things that you could do with that if you're conscious of that uh, relationship and, and how to work with that. Yeah. And one of the reasons that mindfulness is so important in this work is that that subconscious programming uh, almost automatically kicks in when we are not conscious, when we're not paying yeah. attention to what's going on. We're not actually perceiving what's happening with us. And that happens when we get lost in thought. Yeah. So not being present leads to the subconscious programming kicking in. So when I talk to people about this, sometimes they say, well, you know, I don't know what my programming is. Well, watch your behaviors, watch the things you do that you don't want to do and the things that you don't want to do that you want to do. That's your programming. Mm. Yeah. I also think mindfulness is such a fundamental skill to have for navigating the, you know, the psychedelic space as well. Because yeah, that ability, that ability to have a little bit more concentration when the, you know, I don't know about anybody else. I know my experiences in the psychedelic space, um, whatever, you know, whatever thing is happening in my mind is usually amplified quite a bit. Um, it gets a lot more noisy. There's a lot more distractions. There's a lot of um, shiny objects uh, that I could start to pay attention to instead of staying with my breath instead of keeping that observer mind and um, you know the ability to concentrate a little bit more to have some equanimity uh, for what's coming up in my experience rather than following every squirrel that you know pops up in, in my field of reality 
so to speak, um, is, is something that's so valuable to you really yeah. being, being, really being able to stay present and understand so that later on when I'm doing the integration work, I can, you know, have, have more of a grounded approach and like, okay, this is what came up. This is what I should, you know, kind of maybe explore a little bit more. I would only modify that in one way, and that is that um, I don't think it's necessary to understand what's happening in the experience. Hmm. Um, that's sort of the brain getting involved. And there is a school of thought that says that right now, if you don't pay attention to the words I'm saying and try to figure them out as I go along, it gets into your brain even better because there's not a layer in between. You know, one of the things that we do as humans um, when our brain starts talking, let's say I see a tree. I can take in the tree in complete and full detail with my eyes without a word said. But then my brain wants to say, I think that's an oak and it's losing its leaves. And at that moment, when I start thinking about it, I start interacting with my ideas and images and preconceptions and experiences of trees and not the tree in front of me. And we mm -hmm. do the same thing with feelings. You know, a lot of people are afraid of fear and not the thing that they think they fear. So sometimes I think it's necessary to let go um, and not try to get a grip on something and understand it or contextualize it. Um, you know, we're, especially with smart people, we like to do that and it's going to happen. But I think that we need to practice as much as possible seeing things without letting words get involved too much. Hmm. And when it comes to resistance, I mean, this is in that same vein that you were talking about earlier. I think one of the things also people need to learn, and I'll say first that there's nothing in a psychedelic experience that's there to teach you about the psychedelic experience itself. It's there. Those are all life lessons. Everything that you learn in a psychedelic experience can be applied to life. That's what it's for. It's sort of a classroom. So the experience of surrender in a psychedelic experience, it's, you know, we like to be very vague in the psychedelic community for some reason, but when we say surrender, people aren't really sure what that means. You probably had this with clients. They're like, what does that mean? I know I'm supposed to surrender, but I don't know how to do that. That means you're not going to be happy. You might be scared. You might be sad. You might be in grief. You know, it could be a lot of things, but you have to let go. You just have to let go and be that. You can't fight it. You have to go where it's telling you to go. I don't want to say you have to because we're always a choice. No one sure. has to face their demons. No one has to go through their trauma. You can do whatever you want in a psychedelic experience. But when that fear comes up, if you want to know how to, how to make it stop, remember what Joseph Campbell said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Those barriers you find in the psychedelic experience are things that were put up a long time ago to keep you out of a certain area because it seemed dangerous. It's not, it's okay. You can die, you can fall off the cliff, you can go crazy, you can do all of those things. When people have this experience saying, I spent hours trying not to fall off a cliff. Well, you can actually fall off a cliff and you'll be okay. That's just a block that's in your way. So Surrender is the experience of just being with what is, and, and no matter what it is, no matter how bad you think it is. And what you were talking about before, sort of choiceless awareness mm -hmm. of having equanimity for what's happening, not judging it and not choosing, just seeing this is what's happening right now without trying to classify this as I want or don't, need or don't, good, bad, just let it happen is one of the best yeah. things you can do during the psychedelic experience. Yeah, that's that that surrender is so important. You know, uh, the way I like to explain it is, you know, just throw out that definition that you already have of of giving up, and you could say giving in or being open to, just like you said, what, the full spectrum of what can happen. You know, just being with whatever happens, 
um, not labeling it as good or bad, but giving, giving myself permission to actually experience it. You know, even if it is scary, even if it is, you know, if, if it brings up grief, if it brings up fear, if it brings up the things that I usually try to minimize in my life because yeah, they're there. Yeah. They're there for a reason. Yeah. Psychedelics don't make us feel anything that we're not already feeling. Mm-hmm. It's only amplifying what's happening in us already. So people might say, well, I took mushrooms. They made me really scared. Well, you're scared somewhere. There's something inside of you that's frightening you that you're running from. Um, and it's amplifying that to show you. Yeah. You're, uh, what you were just saying, it reminded, it reminds me of something that, you know, that, that's happened to me. Um, there was a, this is a few years ago, but there was an ayahuasca ceremony. I was very deep in the medicine and these, um, these beings came to me and started explaining to me that, um, I was from some other galaxy or some other star. And they, at one point they said, we want to take you there. We want to show you where you're from. And at that point in time, I was really, I got really, really scared because I was already super, super deep in what was happening. And I, it, it was an interesting night because um, I, had, I had a mala with me and I never brought this mala to ceremony ever before. And for some reason I had grabbed it, you know, that, that afternoon. And I, you know, I took it off and I started just using it to ground because I was so scared of like, if I go with these beings, I'm going to die. And um, I've often thought and I've done work around, gee, I really wish I hadn't been so scared in that moment because I don't know what would have happened. I don't think I would have died. <laughs> but in that moment, you know, like I, I refused to, to surrender. I just was like, nope, I got to ground. I got to stay here. There's something about this isn't safe to me. And um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes I think about it. I'm like, wow, I really, really wish I would have been able to just surrender and been open to that experience. Cause how often does that happen? Well, I mean, I always tell clients that, uh, you know, here, here's a way that you can approach this experience. Here's a way that might help you get more, you know, in preparation, but I'll have to tell you that whatever you do is what's supposed to happen. And you can't do this wrong. There's no such thing as a mistake in this experience. And whatever happens in that moment. So I thoroughly believe that, you know, that experience was not for you in that moment. You know, Mm. for some reason, it would have detracted from something else. You weren't ready for it. There was something about it you didn't like. I think there's a reason you didn't do that. Yeah. But, you know, brain, brain wants to measure, ego wants to criticize. So (laughs) always second guessing ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, What else did I have on my list here? Um, yeah. So how, how do you think that people um, should kind of approach uh, that preparation? Because, you know, I think that's, that's something we've kind of danced around in this conversation. I know we were talking a little bit about it before we hit record is that, you know, the, the preparation is just as important and the integration work is just as important as the actual medicine work itself. So what are, what are some ways that you kind of Uh, work with clients in terms of that preparation stage? Well, when I work with clients, sometimes we go through, you know, what they've been through in life and, you know, what, uh, how that's manifesting in their lives. Now, we do that for a couple of reasons, um, because it might till the ground so it comes up in a journey. 
And also because sometimes, you know, you can spend years in therapy on, you know, five or six really valid issues and never get to this big one underneath. Mm. Making progress and doing things, but with something here. So sometimes talking about those things sort of clears away that top layer. But really after that, we talk about, uh, we spend a lot of time on intention because intention is important until the time that you start your journey, at which point you should let your intention go entirely. Right. And this is something we cover as well, you know, that you don't need to do anything during the experience. You don't need to try to direct it or control it because if you knew what to do, you wouldn't have to come to these substances. Hmm. You might think that you need to water the tree. You're going to find out that you need to cut off two branches where it's going to die. You know, you think you know how to get from here to there. And then you turn on the GPS and says, no, sorry, you have to go over here and here and here, and then turn left and go right. And make a U turn and come back over here. So we don't know what it is we need. And if you go in thinking, I'm going to fix this issue with my dad, you might find out that the issue with your dad is secondary, or you might find out that there are a couple of other things you might to do, have to do in order to fix that. You know, mm -hmm. I had a client who uh, really wanted to work on his relationship with his dad because it was strained. And after talking a bit, it turned out that, you know, he had not been working for a while. He was taking money from his dad and it caused a lot of shame in him. But outside of that, there wasn't really a problem. Um, so, you know, once he got his feet on the ground and stopped having that dependency, his relationship around his dad kind of changed on its own without the medicine intervening. But, you know, he would have gone to this experience thinking, I need to fix this thing that's not really broken. And, you know, as well as I do, the amount of times that people come out of an experience and say, I had no idea that was bothering me. I don't know that I liked this, didn't like this, that was bothering me, this was an issue for me, this just came out of left field, I had no idea this, this was something that um, I was even thinking about. So. It's important not to try to direct or control the experience or have like a checklist that you're going through or make sure that you're in line with your intention or anything like that. It's important just to be open to whatever the medicine is bringing you. That you don't yeah. have to try to figure it out in the moment because that's just your brain wanted to figure things out. And besides that, a lot of things might come up that are nonverbal, preverbal, non-cognitive, precognitive. You know, there is... Uh, I think it was Alan Watts one time said something, you know, he was talking about the cells in your body. And if you've ever seen that image of a human cell, you know, we've got trillions of those in our bodies and there are hundreds of little beings in that one thing. We've got trillions of them. We somehow control those things. We operate our heart and our lungs and our circulation and all these other things somewhere up here in our brain. It's coming from here. I don't know what that language is, but I speak the language of my cells somehow. There are things that happen with me spiritually and physically that I can't understand with words, thoughts, or reason. And if we're going to spiritual, that is before words, thoughts, reasons, concepts, perceptions. You know, there, there is a layer there that has nothing to do with any of those things. So when we start trying to apply human reason and logic and understanding, sometimes we narrow that experience and we cut something out. So sometimes you're just there being open to whatever it brings you. And again, Remember that there are no mistakes in this experience, that everything that happens is for your healing and that you can just let go at any time. Probably the best thing you can do is just to be aware that right now I am tensed up and uncomfortable. What's going to happen if I let go a little bit? How much can I let go? Yeah. Surrender. But again, you can't do it wrong. There are no mistakes. Whatever happens in this experience is exactly what was supposed to happen. Hmm. And I think that's one of those lessons that sometimes can come up, especially if we're uh, if we if we're really focused on feeling like something was a mistake or something did happen wrong. 
you know, we can kind of get to that place, just like we were talking about um, the, the body's defense mechanisms and coming to a realization through our work that like, oh, wow, that there was a reason for that. It was keeping me safe from something. You know, the, the things that in the short term might seem like a, a mistake or something went wrong, when you can pull the lens back a little bit further, you can go, aha, wow, this actually led me exactly to where I'm supposed to be. Or it led me down this path that took me someplace else that I had no, you know, no idea about. But it, it's it's exactly where I was supposed to be, and um, so I, I love that. That's something you can apply to. You know, I, I apply that to my past. I don't yeah. want to repeat it. I don't wish it on anyone else. But had the things that happened to me not happened to me, I might not be sitting here talking to you, and I'm glad that I am. Right. Every everything that's happened in your life, no matter how minuscule. And not just your life, but the lives of your parents, uh, yeah. your grandparents, um, so many other, you know, people and beings that we're all interconnected with, have led us right here to this moment, having this conversation. And what a what a beautiful thing that is to sort of to see and to be aware of, you know, all part of a grand design of some kind. <laughs> and you know, as you were talking, I was I was thinking about just. Um, the the balance like you know we're, we're talking about sort of some of these concepts within um the lens of you know doing psychedelic work and 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 integrating those experiences but like i was thinking about that in the larger context of my life about how there's certain seasons of my life where i've had really strong intentions and really strong goals and really strong aspirations of this is the path and this is what i'm going to do and then there's been other times where I've literally had to just completely surrender and just say, this is where I'm going. This is where the river of life is, is, is taking me, you know, and I'm not going to try to, to swim against the current. I'm not going to try to exhaust myself um, with my idea of where I should go and what I should be doing. Um, I just have to surrender and, and be with it and trust that, uh, you know, I'm going to end up exactly where I'm supposed to. You know, there is a school of thought that says that I can just watch what's happening. And that, um, I mean, the analogy I've used before is that sometimes I think that the way that my ego and my brain t constantly describe my experience and, you know, give their opinions about what I should be doing, is kind of like me talking to the character on a movie screen, you know, go that way, mm -hmm. turn left, eat that thing, talk to that guy. And everything's cool as long as he's cooperating. But as soon as <laughs> I say turn left and he goes right, I'm like, hey, what's going on? That's not where you were supposed to go. Well, every day we do things we don't want to do and we don't do things we want to do. So is the fact that I'm thinking I want to do this, this, and this is the coincidence that I was going to do that anyway and my brain's just chattering because when I wanted to do this, it didn't happen. So yeah. it's possible that if I weren't thinking about this all the time, you know, I'm going to take a drink of water. But my brain wants to say, I want a drink of water. Yeah, I know, I'm thirsty. <laughs> when you're outside and it's cold, your brain says it's cold. I know, I feel cold. Brain always wants to be narrating and talking about what's going on and telling us what to do. And I don't know how useful that is much of the time. <laughs> That's one of those questions that we don't think about because of course, you know, you're supposed to be thinking and thinking about what you do and thinking about what your next action is. But uh, I actually don't know how useful that is. I think it's possible in many cases to just surrender into your life, you know, to step out of the way. I have a client who used the judo metaphor. You know, it feels like things are coming at me. I'm just stepping out of the way and letting them go by like they were going to. I don't have to resist them. I don't have to push them. You know, they're just doing what they're doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. 
That's a that's a really interesting um, thought, you know, because I've I've often thought uh, and and talked to different people about how in certain from a certain context, especially with certain medicines, uh, one could view the psychedelic experience as um, sort of like the bardo, you know, like an opportunity to experience fully surrendering, fully letting go in the way that we have to when we die. And, you know, like the, the sort of the epiphanies that we have on our deathbed of like, wow, like worrying about that thing didn't matter. And I really just have to fully let go now that here I am dying. And, um, you know, that the, the opportunity to practice that, to, to cultivate it in some way is, is really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it seems like it's not that difficult a thing to do when you're spiritual, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Tibetan Buddhists can spend their entire lives preparing to die and they still need assistance when it happens sometimes. Right, right. Absolutely. So I think that that brings me into sort of the sort of sort of wrapping this up. Um, you know, I've been practicing Tibetan Buddhism for a long time, and and that's sort of how I came to call the podcast "The Vital Point." It's from a Zochen teaching that sums up the entire view of reality, of ultimate reality, into these three lines. And um, I just thought, wow, okay, I can. Summar summarize this as three lines. I can read a book where it's literally hundreds of pages, um, you know, uh, with the commentary about those three lines. And um, so I'm always curious to ask my guests in terms of their work, uh, what do you think that the vital point is? Yeah, there's a quote by Milton Erickson. So the technology of neurolinguistic programming was founded on the work of four therapists, Milton Erickson being one of them. He was a, uh, an MD psychiatrist, hypnotherapist, who was a genius at working with people. He can often work with people in one session and clear up something they've been working on for years. But he said something that is the backbone of my work. He said, change will lead to insight far more often than insight will lead to change. So this gets mm -hmm. exactly to the point that we had about, you know, walking into uncomfortable territory and letting your body know that we're going to be doing something different because We've all read books and attended workshops and seminars and talks and then decided that's a really cool thing. As soon as I feel like doing that, I'm going to do it. And somehow you don't. Mm -hmm. The trick is that you have to start doing it. And when you start doing it, it's going to be uncomfortable because it's not what you did before. But the more you do it, the more it makes sense and the more insight you'll have about the thing that you were doing before that wasn't working for you. I've seen that happen time and time again with myself and with clients. You know, that whole mechanism we talked about of having blinders to, to make me react in a certain way cuts off objective reality. So I have no way of knowing anything about that state because I have been, in a, in a sense, hypnotized to believe that something is real when it's not what's really happening. Once those blinders are off, then I can look back and see now I get what was going on with that. I can see why I had that reaction. I could see how that was not serving me. But that requires me to make some change first and not just try to think my way into change. I love that. What a great vital point. And I'm going to think about that a little bit myself. Uh, there's so many thoughts coming up in terms of, I was thinking about my bookshelf, you know, you can have all the books on the shelf. If you don't read them, uh, how are you going to get anything out of it? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm guilty of that too. I, I have the pile of books I'm trying to make my way through. <laughs> there's not enough time in the day. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and experience with us. I really, really appreciate it. Really well, have enjoyed, me, enjoyed the talk. Um, if people want to get to know you a little bit better or work with you, where should they go? Uh, my website, psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. And I'm Greg at Psychedelic Integration Specialist. I'm a Psychedelic Integration Specialist on Facebook and on Instagram. I think I'm Psychedelic Integration. Awesome. And, and you I know can always you're... find me on Facebook, Greg Lawrence, too. Yeah. And if you're in the LA area, you're pretty active there within the integration yeah, community. I've been, yeah, I've been working with the LA psychedelic community for five years now. Awesome. We'll make sure to put those links on the show page as well for people to, uh, to access and look you up. Great. I appreciate so Greg, that. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today and for the conversation. Thanks, Jonathan. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Awesome. Let's, uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did i'd love it if you leave a review follow me on instagram at blue magic alchemy if you'd like to learn more about transformation integration and how to connect through coaching breathwork and meditation remember that regardless of the methods you're practicing the vital point is to practice 